So this is a season called Advent. And when you begin to dig in and sort of wonder what is Advent and where does Advent come from, you find that, that you find a lot of different things, including some disagreement about exactly when Advent began. Some people would say that Advent traditions go back as maybe the four or five hundreds AD. Others would say that our current traditions of a wreath particularly flow from more like the 1800s. The word Advent itself comes from a Latin word. That word is, now get this, you'd be surprised here, Adventus. <laughs> Who knew? Right, and that word means arrival or coming. Advent is really a season of expectation. It's a season of anticipation because we're anticipating the coming of Jesus. And built into that is an anticipation that he will come again. And so today we're going to begin a series we're calling the Adventure. See what I did there? Adventure. Of Christmas. Of course, Christmas does the same, right? Uh, you would see in the graphic in your notes, right? Uh, Christmas has Christ. We, we were talking this week. We had something that showed up that had a spelling mistake in it, and uh, there was no Christ in Christmas. It was, it was, I think there was an R instead of the T. It was Christmas. <laughs> we're celebrating the Advent, the adventure of Christmas together. And every Sunday, we'll have families that read scripture for us and help us anticipate the meaning of all of this. Today, we're focusing on the advent of hope. Of hope. How many of you would say, I can't wait for Christmas? All right, I, I gotta at least be honest. Are there any bah humbugs here? You can't wait for Christmas to be over. That was impressive. <laughs> I have no idea how that happened. So here's what I know, right? In the time of the birth of Jesus, the people were anticipating, they were waiting for God to move. They were waiting for God to speak. They were waiting for a Messiah. And you probably know this, the kind of Messiah they wanted was political. And God sent his son, which is much better than a political deliverer. We're not that different today. The Old Testament ends with these very words. I want to read them to you. This is from the very end of the prophet Malachi, or as some like to call him, the Italian prophet Malachi. Through the prophet Malachi, God says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He is saying that a movement of God is needed that turns the people back to God, that turns children to their parents, parents to their children. And we find the fulfillment of that quickly alluded to in the beginning of the Christmas story. 
Luke chapter 1, you might remember the story. It begins not with Mary and not with Joseph and not with Jesus. But it begins with an introduction where Luke writes and tells us that many people have researched the story of the gospel and that he has done all of his research to explain to the one he is writing to, the most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And then it says, in the time of King Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And you would know Zechariah's story most likely. Zechariah and Elizabeth, he was a faithful, faithful priest. They were old at this point in their journey, well beyond childbearing years, and she had never been able to bear a child. And by lot, Zechariah is chosen. It's his time of the year to serve at the temple and his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to serve inside the temple of the Lord, inside uh, the, the presence of God, comes up. And when there, an angel speaks to him. This is Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 13. And following. The angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Kind of interesting. We wonder what exactly was the prayer. Or maybe his multitude of prayers. Was he praying for the Messiah to come? Maybe he was praying for a son. And we don't really know. But your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke is saying, he's connecting the dots, right? He is saying that what God said in Malachi is now happening and that this would be the precursor to the coming of the Messiah, I always think about how Christmas is a season of waiting. I remember when I was a kid, the tree would go up, and then at some point, gifts would appear under the tree, and I would get curious. Anybody? And I'd wonder, and I would expect, and I would hope, and I would wait, and man, Waiting is hard. Do you find waiting to be like a piece of cake? I, mean, I know it's like everybody's favorite pastime, right? Waiting. In fact, this is a time of year where we do a lot of waiting, not just to open presents, but traffic is a little crazier. Shopping is a little crazier. Everywhere you go, you're going to wait a little longer to do what you do. And a lot of us are waiting through this Christmas season. You may be waiting for love. You may be waiting for direction in life, option A or option B. You may be waiting for a job. 
so that you can support your family in the way you want to. You may be waiting for a child. You may be waiting for a child to come home. You may be waiting for God to stir in your soul. You may be waiting for the depression to go away or for the anxiety to be answered. These days, you may be waiting on your 401k, your 403b, your IRA. You certainly don't want to wait on the IR. Waiting is common. You might ask, how long will we wait? To those kinds of prayers, I don't know. What I do know is that what I do while I'm waiting is critical. The people of God were waiting on the Messiah. It says it happened in the time of King Herod. And you may or may not know this, but Malachi had spoken about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And with the speaking of the prophet Malachi, God went silent. No prophet for 400 years until the angel shows up in the temple with Zechariah to say, guess what? The surprises of God are often guess what's, aren't they? Often things we're not quite prepared for, we don't know quite how to explain. Like Zechariah, we might find ourselves questioning a bit what God is doing in the waiting. We'll see the same with Mary shortly. What I do know is that waiting is painful and waiting on God is hard. It's hard. When your life has been turned upside down, when God has moved in one way that creates a little chaos on the other hand, waiting on God's next steps are often challenging. And waiting feels difficult or different. Different works. It feels difficult too. Waiting feels so difficult when well, when God is silent, when God is silent in your life, when God seems silent in your life, waiting is long. The days feel like weeks. When someone you care about is in the hospital, when someone you care about is making their journey home, when you're the one who's sick, waiting feels difficult when you pray and say, God, heal. And when the answer of God doesn't come, waiting is difficult when God feels silent. Again, in their day, God had been silent literally for 400 years. That doesn't mean God wasn't working. If you know the story of Hanukkah at all, which is worth researching another time, God was moving and God was preparing the way for both John, who would be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and preparing the way for Jesus, who would be born for Mary. Waiting feels difficult when overlords are brutal. Number two, overlords are brutal. 
It, it begins this Christmas story with the idea that Herod was the one in charge. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Now, if you're anything like me, when you read your Bible, you get really confused about which Herod is which, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of Herods, and they all go by the name Herod. It's like King James, right? Which king? King James the 220th, right? Here's what you need to know. Herod the Great is the Herod who reigned at the time of the birth of Jesus. He was brutal. He was brutal. He's the Herod that we read about when the wise men came. And he said, tell me where he, go find him that I too may go and worship him, which was a total ruse. The wise men went and found Jesus, but when they figured out what Herod was up to, they escaped another way, they found another way home. Herod was not told and he murdered who knows how many babies. Herod the Great was brutal. During the time of the ministry of Jesus, the ruler of the day was Herod Antipas or Herod Antipas. He is the one who was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist, actually who we read about the birth of this morning. And later, Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I, to be specific, is the Herod read about in the book of Acts, and he didn't want to miss out. And so he had the apostle James, son of, you know, James and John. He had James murdered as well. The bottom line is the overlords were brutal. Real life pain. And when you live under a rain like that, you wonder where God is. Waiting feels so difficult when God seems silent. Waiting feels so difficult when overlords are brutal. Waiting feels so, so difficult when I have an appointment with disappointment. When I have an appointment with disappointment, I don't know about you, but I can put myself in the story enough to think about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And think about longing for a child all of those years and seeing that longing not fulfilled. And in that day and in that time, there was a scarlet letter, if you will, attached to you if you were unable to bear a child. They certainly knew disappointment. And this is just the context, really, of Christmas. In fact, it's the context of hope that light shines best in the darkness. The context for hope is the disappointment of people. The context for faith is doubt and fear. The context for love is hate and apathy. That really the entire message of Christianity has a backdrop filled with darkness. In that kind of season, God broke in again. Chapter 1 of Luke, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You probably know this story, right? They were pledged to be married, meaning that, that they were, um, their pledge to be married was 
a greater commitment than our getting engaged, but they were not married yet, which means they don't do what married folks do. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, okay. Glad we cleared that up, right? Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. That's worth reading again. No word from God will ever fail. And Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. If you think about it, really, even before Jesus was born, hope was born in this message of Gabriel. So what is hope? That's the one thing I want to convince you of today. It's the sort of point, the, like the big idea of this message. That hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is waiting with confident expectation that God will work. That's hope. It's not just wishful thinking, like, like, hey, do you hope you're gonna get a PS5 this year? I hope so. It's not just wishful thinking. Hope is waiting with expectation, with confident expectation that God will work. I got to thinking about some waiting I've had to do in the last year or two. And I thought of several examples of times where I was waiting. I had to go to the DMV one day. We had some car buying and selling going on this year. And I went to the DMV and, you know, as usual, it was chaos. And there were a lot of people and there were all those booths up there. And there was that whole take a number thing. And my number was like 10,000 away or something, you know. And so you spend all of that time waiting, watching that little red box that says, you know, 120 or 19 or whatever. I just remember I was a full hundred away from whatever it said. It felt like forever. And you wait with some anticipation that sometime your number might be called. And I watched people on the edge of their seat, right as their number was about to be called, right? Ready to jump up, waiting with expectation. Then I thought about some time in my life in the last year, year and a half, where I was waiting on doctors. You might think about the ER. You know the ER. You go, there's chaos. 
If you've got a heart attack, you're usually ushered pretty quickly in, thankfully. If your thumb hurts, you're going to wait a long, long time. So long that you're not sure they're ever going to come back. You ever waited in a hospital thinking like, have they forgot about me? Or maybe you've gone to your doctor and at your doctor, your doctor said, I am so glad I went to medical school. I have all that time. I'm going to send you to someone who knows more than I do. Aren't you glad you came to see me so that I could make like $300 to send you to somebody else? Right? And so they send a referral out and you wait on the phone call. And you wait on the phone call. And days go by and weeks go by. And you wait. And eventually you call back because you never got the phone call. And they belittle you a little bit because of course the referral was sent over. You're a patient, you just need to be. And you wait. Sometimes with no hope that the call's ever going to come. That's not very confident expectation. So you call the... No, we don't need to go into that. You get the point, I think. And then there's waiting at an airport for someone you love to land. You know they're on the flight. The promise was made long ago. You anticipate their arrival. I remember being a kid when you could actually go to the gates. You remember those days? I must be an old man. You go to the gates, you could look out the window and you're looking at the planes going, is that the plane? Now you just wait out with everybody else and there's 400 people gathered around kind of anxiously waiting for the one they love to emerge from those, those, I don't know, like it feels like I go through some kind of like decontamination tank or something when I land at the airport now. But when the one you love is landing, you're eager. You're not just on the edge of your seat, you're standing. You're, you're anticipating, you're hopeful. You can't wait to throw your arms around them and give them a hug. You know what I mean? That's hope. That's the confident expectation that what has been promised will happen. And waiting is, <laughs> hope is just waiting with confident expectation that God will work. It's, it's not just wondering whether God will work, it's knowing that God will work. You're just, you're just eager to see what God's gonna do. That's the hope that is born at Christmas. Mary ended the story I read. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, right? Because no word from God will ever fail. And it says the angel left her. And then Mary was in wait mode. I mean, think about it. She's just been told she's going to be pregnant. She's not married yet. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Like, like when, how, what? And she's waiting. And then she is pregnant. There's a day comes where she feels it in her body. Specifically, she feels him in her body. Jesus, and her body begins to change. 
and she's waiting for Jesus to be born. But while waiting for Jesus to be born, she's also waiting, wondering how others will react. What is dad going to think about this? Not just our father in heaven, but her dad. I promise, dad. I promise. An angel. She was waiting. I think about all that Mary had to wait on over the years waiting for his birth. And then when Jesus is born and he's growing up, I think about all the waiting she was doing on God, thinking about when is this going to happen? Like, when is, if, if he's going to be the Messiah or the one who was promised, if he is, the Lord is with us, if God's going to keep his word, when's it all going to happen? And then the ministry of Jesus begins to happen. And you remember at the wedding at Cana, who called and said, like, hey, I got a guy who, like, we're out of wine. I, my son can take care of that. Because she's, like, helping God along, right? She was waiting. I think about Mary the day he was arrested and what she must have thought. And the day she saw him carry and then unable to carry the cross beam of the cross to his crucifixion, the waiting that was going on. Think about Mary looking up at Jesus hanging on that cross and thinking, God, what went wrong? I thought... He was the promised one. She watched him die. And they buried him. And she was waiting. Mary did a whole lot of waiting over the years. I'm not sure she always waited with hope in the sense I'm teaching it. Because she didn't know the end of the story that we know. She didn't know the Easter story. She didn't know the resurrection. Jesus had promised that he was going to be crucified, but nobody got it. Literally nobody. I simply want you to see that Christmas means hope, and hope, it's waiting, but it's waiting with confident expectation that God will work. Let me fill in some blanks for you. I want to get practical for a few moments. Christmas means hope. I'm going to give you three or four reasons. Number one, Christmas means hope because while I'm waiting, God is working. That's the key that you and I have to be able to hang on to. Think about Mary, unable to do anything. The angel has told her that she's going to be pregnant. And she's waiting but what does it take? It takes God work for all of this to come to pass. I can promise you if you're waiting on a job, if you're waiting on redemption, if you're waiting on reconciliation, if you're waiting on God's provision, if you're waiting on a relationship to be restored, if you're waiting and waiting is hard and this is a difficult season, the best thing you can do while you wait is put your lot in God's hands and say, I'm waiting, but God is working. Now contrast that to what we normally want to do. We normally want to say, I want to help God out. Right? I want to get my hands 
involved in what God says God's going to do. While I'm waiting, God is working. And the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, highly graced is the word. The Lord is with you. Notice God had already been working in Zechariah, in Elizabeth, with John. God was already working long before. In fact, really, if we want to understand the before that God was working, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of it. God had been working towards this moment for thousands of years. While I'm waiting, God is working. Number two, Christmas means hope because... Now think about this. Jesus often works on a hidden but a certain timeline. What's the hardest part about waiting? Not knowing. Yeah, is it going to happen or not? And when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Sometimes when you watch football, you wonder when it's going to happen. You know, the turn, that, 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 the team at the end of the game that makes the comeback, the win, it, that's a not so certain thing, isn't it? Jesus often works on a hidden timeline that you don't know the timeline at all, but you have certainty that Jesus is working. Christmas means hope because the work of Jesus is certain. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus and he will be great. And the Lord God, he will, he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. The work of God is certain in Jesus. But the timing? Do you think that anybody really got it that first Christmas? The timing? Not really. I mean, I, I read of Simeon, right, and a few others who maybe were anticipating that the Messiah might come in their lifetime, but for the vast majority of folks, they didn't get it. And the religious folks, by the time Jesus was actually doing ministry, they, they, they didn't get it. I don't know about you, but I find in my own life that I get stuck on the part that's hidden, the timing part, but I forget about the certainty of God work part. And I need the hope that when it feels like God is silent, that his word is still faithful. 
the hope that God's work is still certain. Maybe this, let me say it one other way. God's timing is almost never your timing. It almost, almost never. If your timing happens to like the planets align with God's timing, like count your blessed lucky stars. And it's probably, I'm not going to say it's coincidence because God's bigger than that. But I am going to say that in my lifetime, rarely has God showed up on my timetable. I'm always waiting on his. Often life will feel just out of control. And our world will look more and more out of control. And it may feel like God's gone silent or God has abandoned us. And we can wait with hope because God's work is certain. The same thing is true about his second coming. People have debated for thousands of years when it's going to happen. Dude after dude, or maybe dude after dudette, has written books and blogs about they know the time and it, it's in our lifetime. And some of you have asked, hey, Brian, do you think Jesus is coming back in our lifetime? And it's possible. But my honest answer is I don't know. Because for literally centuries and centuries and centuries now, people have said, I'm certain it's in our lifetime. Here's what I'm certain of. He will return. And in the meantime, in the gap between his first coming and his second coming, he is present in our world, in us, and he is at work. That's phenomenal. And that gives me hope. Number three, Christmas means hope because, well, because, now work with me on the grammar here. I know I'm a little off, but God can't not be faithful. I heard somebody say that a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, that says it really well. God can't not be faithful. It doesn't say cannot. It says can't not. Really bad grammar. I apologize. God can't not be faithful. That his nature is faithful. That that's who he is. Right? The promise was met that this son would be born, that he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high, that God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There's so many promises there. And I don't have time. I mean, actually, I could take time, but we've got a second service in a little bit, and y'all probably don't want to stay through that one. But we could go through promise after promise after promise after promise after promise that's back here that is answered right there, and that is answered in the birth of Jesus. And God is telling Mary what he is about to do, but he is also telling her that she will do more waiting. And so waiting begins to stretch me because I have to step out and say, okay, I'm gonna wait on God and God can't not be faithful. No, remember what it said? No word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. You can bank on that. No word from God will ever fail. When I feel hopeless in my life, that is what I have to come back to. 
When I feel down and discouraged in my life, that's what I have to come back to. And I'll be straight about Christmas. It produces quite a bit of discouragement. For some people, depression, right? The season plus the lack of sunlight is really easy this time of year to look around at others and think, did God forget about me? (laughs) No, 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 no. You were on his mind when he was born and you were on his mind when he died on the cross and you were on his mind at the resurrection and you are on God's mind today. No word from God will ever fail. And so what does hope do? Well, Christmas hope stretches me, stretches my soul, and it secures me, it anchors me. Christmas hope both stretches my soul. It puts me in a place where I have to grow my faith and say, God, I don't know your timing, but I'm going to trust you. But Christmas hope also anchors my soul. It secures my soul because his word is so good and no word from God will ever fail. It's that hope that this first candle of Advent represents. I don't know about you, but I need some of that hope this Christmas. Do you? So I want to end our services praying for that hope in your life. We always end our services with two prayers. Sometimes we sing after, sometimes we don't. We always end, at least the message part, with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. And the second is a prayer of discipleship or a prayer of application. And if you need hope for the very first time today, if Jesus is new to you, and maybe today for the very first time you've heard that God loves you, that God wants to grace you, that God wants to forgive you, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that they buried him in a borrowed grave, but on the third day he was brought back to life. He's alive today. And he can put hope inside of you. If you need Jesus this morning, maybe you'd pray with me this prayer of salvation. Will we bow our heads? It's a simple prayer. It's not about the exact words. It's about the heart behind it. And maybe you'd pray like this, even online. Dear Jesus, I know I I not only mess up, I fall way short. Jesus, please forgive my sins. Thank you that you were born. Thank you that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. Thank you for dying for my sins. I put my faith in you, Jesus. And since you're alive... I ask you to live in me to take over my life and flood my life with hope. Please, Jesus. I pray in your name. And if that's you, and you prayed that prayer with me just now, no word 
from God will ever fail. You prayed online. No word from God will ever fail. You have that as certainty. Man, that's beautiful. We'd love to know it if you prayed to become a Christian for the very first time today. You can let me know in person. You can let me know on the communication card or the digital communication card online. You can let the people know, maybe someone around you. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N at harvestchurcheugene.com. Just let us know because we want to celebrate. And we celebrate that in big ways. I would imagine that a lot of you made that decision a little while back. But this morning, you need some Christmas hope secured in your soul. If that's you, and I can pray with you, would you pray this prayer of discipleship, this prayer of application with me, if you need hope? Dear Jesus, I can't find words to express my full gratitude for Christmas, my full gratitude for grace, or my gratitude for the absolute fact that you are God with us. Anchor my soul with grace and anchor my soul with hope. And as I wait on your work in my life, remind me always that your work is certain. Help me to wait on your timing. Thank you that you are always faithful. So this Christmas, I'm waiting, and we're waiting with great expectation of your work. We pray that you would work in us, and through us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, his hope is certain. Certain. I'm so glad you're worshiping Jesus with us today. I wanna encourage you as you go today to remember a couple of things. One, on your way out, communication cards, offering box. If you're a guest with us today, uh, your offering and your, your finances are not what we're after. We would just love to hear from you. If you would be willing, all of us, to give us that communication card, there are baskets in the back for that on the door on the way out. Those of us who consider Harvest our home, we take care of that offering part. Uh, there's a box there for that. But as you go today, I want you to go expecting God to work. In fact, when you go through those doors, I want you to expect that God's going to work there too, right? Not just here, but there. And when you go home, God's going to work. And when you go to the store, God's going to work. When you go back to school for the rest of the year, God's going to work. I want you to go, but go with hope. I'll be praying that for you guys. I love you all. If I can serve you in some way, please let me know. I'll be outside shortly. Uh, we are dismissed for today.